Sarah. I'm Ariana Garcia. And, and this, this is, is an, an intervention. intervention. Welcome to our second episode where we continue the discussion on the Philippine pandemic response, all the funds that we borrowed, and where these funds are meant to be allocated to. Yeah, so going off of last episode, we did talk about our vaccine rollout program, and we want to give you some updates on that. We also want to zero in on the lack of support in the economic sector, especially in the lack of ayuda being handed out to the Filipino people. We also want to talk about some moral and ethical dilemmas that have become very pervasive throughout the course of the pandemic. And lastly, we'll end with a rundown of possible strategies that the government can adopt to combat the pandemic. Yeah, and just jumping in on that point, we also want to give the disclaimer that we are by no means qualified experts in this field or anything like these are things that we've seen on the news research that we've done and our thoughts and opinions on everything that's going on so please don't take us you know that seriously We also want to give a disclaimer that when we go to the section on moral and ethical dilemmas, we will be talking about some very sensitive and serious content surrounding police brutality um, and the over-policing of ordinary citizens. And this is very sensitive um, and we recognize that some individuals may not be as comfortable listening to it. So we just wanted to give a disclaimer and we'll also link some resources in our caption. And if you want to talk, our DMs are always open. Yeah, and you know, we're like... Oh, we're not single, too. I'm single. I'm happy. (laughs) I'm good. I'm good. My DMs are not always open. Base, though. I mean, it's not like I'll read them, but you're welcome to try. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Do you want to start us off with a vaccine rollout update? Yeah, so our vaccination rollout program has actually been progressing really well. But when I say really well, keep in mind that this is in the Philippine context. Yeah, I was going to say really well for the Philippines, but not like really well in general. But you know what? Still pretty well. (laughs) So um, as of June 6th, we have around 9 million vaccines that have been delivered to the country. This is compared to the 4 million batches that were delivered in April. So that's the number we gave in our last episode. And vaccines that have now been delivered include Sinovac, AstraZeneca, which was reintroduced, Pfizer, and Sputnik V. And as of June 6th, we now have around almost 6 million doses administered. So when you think of- The bar is in hell. Like, this is literally the bare minimum (laughs) that the government should have been doing, but we're proud of them. Yeah, but when you look at it statistics-wise, when in our last episode, we said that around 0.42% of our population has been inoculated. So the figure now has increased by 1%. 1 Another round of applause. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the problem with this, though, is that the government aims to vaccinate around 70% of the population by the end of 2021. So if you think about this, it's an average of around 350,000 to 500,000 jabs a day in order to reach this goal. But as of June 6th, the seven-day average of vaccinated individuals is just at around 100,000. So again, you know, we've been pretty slow. But Bay, you did tell me that you think because of the steady improvement, we may be able to vaccinate more individuals soon. Well, you know, fingies crossies and everything. But um, they did say that 40 million doses are meant to be arriving between the months of June to August. And Galvez, who's the country's vaccine czar. And I hate that name. Like, who? It's just, it's just a very, like, Kingly. Yeah. No, look. Who do you he, think you are, right? No, no one called him that. He called himself that. Like, it's self-proclaimed. <laughs> 
You think like when he goes out, he makes your reservation. He's like, yeah, the, the vaccine czar is on the way. You better give us the best table in the house, bro. The czar is in the house. Okay, anyways, sorry. So Galvez also did not say, however, how many COVID-19 shots would be arriving in July. But he did say that the Philippines could be vaccinating 400,000 to 500,000 people daily by next month. And um, by August, authorities could be administering about 740,000 doses per day in August, which, you know, I think is pretty good, right? Yeah, but I think, again, we have to be pretty realistic. They set these really high standards and always give these huge numbers to, like, you know, quote, boost morale, but they never really follow through. So, I mean, just to prep, like, just a warning, it may not, you know, be Without support for the medical sector, too. Mm, Yeah, but again... Um, given that, you know, around 40 million doses are to arrive in the next coming months, when mm-hmm. you think about it, it's not just one kind of vaccine, though. As we said, we have a lot more options now. So Sinopharm has been approved by the FDA. Sinovac was approved by the World Health Organization. And Pfizer has now been approved for usage for 12 to 15-year-olds. So we can now inoculate more individuals in more age groups that we weren't vaccinating before. Yeah, and, and this could be yeah. a game changer, right? Mm-hmm. For the educational sector yep. especially, because I think this increases the possibility for face-to-face classes now that you have younger people given the option to actually take the vaccine and be a I lot agree. safer. Yeah, and when thinking about the fact that there are more options available as well for the kind of vaccine being administered, this can actually help with the problem of vaccine hesitancy that mm-hmm. we have noticed has been arising or has been prevalent in the Philippines. Yeah. So when we checked, around 1 million people did not show up for their second dose. And again, that's problematic because immunity yeah. doesn't kick in till after your second dose. Yeah, and like obviously now that we have a lot of options and that we have the security that these options are actually safe and yeah, the effectivity is yeah. really more really, like scientific. Really well. Yeah, you have backing from out. the WHO, yeah. from the FDA. You know, we really encourage people to just take whatever vaccine that they have I available agree. and not really be particularly picky about it especially since they don't really tell you what vaccine you're going to be getting anyways but like rest assured you know like this is science and this has been you know a lot of individuals have been working hard to make sure that it's safe so i think you should just you should just get it and i think like right now especially because the covid epicenter is shifting we really recommend getting that vaccine yeah so basically just giving you a rundown on what's happening um the covid epicenter has been shifting from luzon to visayas and mindanao So yes, we are getting more vaccines, but at the same time, we don't necessarily know how much is going to be allocated to Luzon and thus to NCR Plus, and how many are going to be sent to areas in Visayas and Mindanao, specifically to Cebu and Davao City, where I think the outbreaks have been really, really bad. Yeah, but I think in general, lots of provinces in these regions have been going on lockdown, especially Mm. because so many people have been traveling domestically without having been vaccinated. I think the government's economic plan, especially in the past months, has been to encourage people to travel domestically in order to boost the economy. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous that this is their economic plan Mm -hmm. you know to encourage people to keep traveling without getting the vaccine so we'd say just like try to get vaccinated before you even consider traveling because there are really really dire repercussions for people in these areas like the vaccine did not spread until people started traveling so just be more responsible the good thing is that they are now starting to prioritize economic frontliners for vaccinations And I think this is probably the safest and the most feasible way to boost the economy. So, you know, get vaccinated and get back to work. Yeah, but as you mentioned, so that's their economic plan, right? To encourage Mm -hmm. people to travel domestically. But it doesn't target the main problem here, which is that there is a huge 
lack of support in our economic sector, especially in the lack of ayuda Huge. being handed out to Filipino people. So, babe, you want to give us like a rundown or like a general breakdown of this ayuda? Yeah, so basically in February of this year, the Philippine government news agency says that the government has so far committed 595.6 billion pesos in fiscal packages towards vulnerable individuals and groups. And this includes cash support programs for low-income households, tax deductions, and wage subsidies. So we're gonna break this down, um, focusing on the cash support aspect of this, and we're gonna tackle why we have problems with the amount and why we think the cash support is lacking. Okay, so in 2020, the government mandated an emergency subsidy program in its Bayanihan to Heal as One Act. So under the act, 18 million low-income households were entitled to 5,000 to 8,000 pesos a month. However, this did depend on the prevailing minimum wage in that area, and the support was only made available for two months. Two months, okay? Namely, April and May of 2020. And the government had around 2 billion pesos to spend on this, and it was the bulk of the pandemic response budget at the time, so not too bad, right? Yeah, but my problem with that isn't only that it's for two months, mm -hmm. when the pandemic is clearly not just, you know, two months, exactly. but it's also that... Um, the pop, I think the measure for it and like the poverty measure and the poverty line in general is very arbitrary, right? You could be a peso above that line and suddenly you're not considered to receive a certain amount, right? So I think that's why it's so problematic because it doesn't take into account how these families live and how many people are in this family and like what they need. So exactly. that's the problem with it. And I think, you know, in addition to that, yes, it is a lot of money and it is being allocated towards the most vulnerable sectors of our society, but there are a lot of problems with the way that the funds were dispersed. So it did take months for aid to be distributed and a lot of people online actually reported not even receiving any money at all. Yeah, so going off of that, it's also not a very efficient system. It's actually pretty suspicious that this is the way it has been going and like that people haven't yeah, really... Yeah, super random. It's just, it's just like, you know what? Yeah, you, you. Like you can get a, exactly. you can get the assistance, but like you, you can. It's been hard to track as well. So it's been hard to hold our government agencies accountable as well. Yeah, I think that different LGUs are actually taking more, like better steps as of, you know, right now yeah. to make this process a lot more transparent. And I know that in Manila, Mayor Isco Morena said that the recipients of the stimulus packages were going to be posted on social media after they receive the packages. But then again, it's like, it's not a great solution, you know? Like, I agree. Yes, it's a step in the right direction, <laughs> but you can post them on social media. So as of 2021, they're kind of doing the same thing. Only 80% um, of low-income Filipinos were given supplementary aid, and these recipients were to be determined by LGUs and only a total of 22.9 billion in leftover funds from the Bayanihan to recover as one act will be used to fund the supplemental program. I've got problems with this because basically the 4.5 trillion peso budget for 2021 did not have an allocation for the unconditional cash grant and the government was kind of operating under the premise that the economy would somehow magically recover <laughs> by itself I guess and so the government didn't actually anticipate that such grants would be needed like, this year. Like, what do you mean did not anticipate? Like, did they just think that, like, once we hit 2021, we were like, Happy New Year, like, new COVID's year, done. And that just goes back to the fact, right, they're not making any long-term solutions. Agreed. Like, to the pandemic and to actually lifting people out 
of poverty during a pandemic. Like there's exactly. just no long-term solution for that. Yeah, and unlike in 2020, eligible Filipinos for supplementary aid would actually only get about a thousand pesos worth of cash or goods each while families could receive a maximum of four thousand pesos yeah the problem with that again is they look at it as every family has the same needs exactly. and is going through the exact same thing it doesn't take into account that a fam that like two families could be experiencing entirely different things right now and also the fact that like families could exceed four people like exactly. especially in the philippines we have yeah. such big families here yeah and so think about it one family could be needing more than that four thousand pesos yeah. because a family member got covid maybe or they're they have a disabled child so again it doesn't take into account the fact that someone might need more than that 4,000 pesos. Exactly, especially if it's given in goods. You know, they just kind of give like what? Like two cans of sardines and like hand sanitizer, right? Yeah. And looking at circulated images online of Ayuda packages, this kind of makes me question whether the contents are actually worth one to 4,000 because they are super, super minimal. I agree, yeah. And Bay, you mentioned that this is a one-time assistance, right? Yeah, so Avisado, who's the minister, oh, sorry, not minister, Secretary of Budget and Management in the Philippines. Yo, sorry, we're going from minister to czar. <laughs> like, what's it? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, we're just so foreign now. I got really thrown off. Yeah, we have a czar. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. Secretary of Budget and Management actually told Rappler that this would only be a one-time assistance, regardless of extensions the government doesn't actually plan on providing more help which is uh again you know no long-term plan in place they just kind of assume that things are going to be great people are going to survive and the government doesn't yeah, actually have to step in placing this in the context that there is a lack of support in the medical sector as well how do yeah. they expect things to get better exactly like i get that we're working with a limited budget but as we discussed in the previous episode mm -hmm. you know so much of the money borrowed hasn't actually been reflected in the support of the medical sector or in this sector and it just kind of makes you question like where are the funds? I agree and it's not just the lack of Ayuda for families in general it's also the lack of aid for workers so unemployment hit an all-time high in April 2020 of around 17 percent so mm -hmm. this figure has actually been steadily dropping um, and the last recorded figure was at 7.1% in March of this year. But that was before, you know, our ECQ was imposed in March. About 9.82 million reported being laid off temporarily or permanently over the course of the pandemic. Although the government says that 11.5 million jobs have been generated as of March 2021. And it kind of seems to me that they're relying on the statistics without really questioning things and looking closely into it. Yeah. Like, a lot of people have been getting jobs, yes, but you've got to question the quality and the stability of the jobs that people have been forced to take. Um, national statistician Dennis Mappa noted that a lot more young people, so people from the ages of 15 to 24, and a lot more of the elderly, 65 and above, have been looking for jobs, and thus you've got to account for you know, no. new entrance to the workforce. Yeah, but the thing with that is you have a lot of people who are employed, but they're underemployed. Exactly. And there's a lot of mismatch in terms of the skill level and the jobs that they're working at and the salaries that they do get from those jobs. So mm -hmm. MAPA also reported that there were more people classified under elementary occupations or those who sell goods in the street and public spaces, as well as those who are in janitorial services. And there are a lot fewer professionals and managerial positions that are actually 
made available yeah. now. So, you know, obviously people aren't making the same amount of money. Okay. And so we, they really yeah. do need that aid, right? So, yeah. so the government needs to look closely yeah, at their but numbers. The Department of Labor and Employment is, re- is reviving its COVID-19 Adjustment Measures Program, which will give displaced workers, again, a one-time financial handout of 5,000 pesos. Again, problematic for so many reasons. Yeah, it's not even like the minimum wage. You're not giving people jobs. You're just not yeah. going to give them money as well. Like, Yeah, I definitely agree. So that is kind of our take on the lack of economic support and the lack of ayuda. Now we're going to segue into a very serious discussion of some moral and ethical dilemmas that have become very prevalent and rampant throughout the pandemic. So this content might not be appropriate for children aged 13 and below. Not like... Not that we know anyone 13 and below, because we're not pedophiles, but if you got siblings... So yeah, we'll talk about like the double standards that have become very apparent. So one instance of this double standard was during the Mañanita. So Sinas shot into infamy when he and several other police officials broke quarantine rules on social distancing and mass gatherings in May 2020 during his 55th birthday party. Okay, side note, it's not even an important birthday. Like, it's 55, you know? (laughs) And (laughs) It's 55. If you're going to break the rules, at least do it for something momentous. (laughs) But actually don't break the rules at all. No, so a lot of news outlets did report on this because so many individuals were angry about this because photos of the early morning event showed a crowd beyond what was allowed during a pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. And this was at the peak of the pandemic, right? So, Sinas and 18 other officials are currently facing criminal and administrative complaints over the Manyanita, but again, no updates on that. Don't think we'll have any updates soon. Yeah, and also, you know, um, PC Deobald Sinas just retired, didn't he? So it's like, now that he's out of the public eye, I think it's a lot harder for us to actually put a lot of pressure on the government to hold these people accountable for their actions, and that's just... Yeah, I agree. Annoying. So this event happened amid a high number of incidents of police brutality against ordinary citizens who allegedly violated community quarantine rules, from not wearing masks to even just going out of their house to find work or to put food on their table. And it's just kind of um, really disgusting to me that yeah. you know people are trying to support themselves in a time where the government isn't really giving them the financial support they need and the response of the Philippine police service is to just take really really extreme measures against them it's basically humiliating and giving these people really abusive punishments hundreds have been arrested daily for violating protocols as you mentioned and it's just first of all kind of illogical to me because you're going to detain hundreds of people in tiny and poorly ventilated spaces for not social distancing. <laughs> no, and, and like we've seen that a lot of COVID hotspots are actually these jails because again, yeah. they are, there's like no ventilation, it's overcrowded. So it doesn't, again, this just doesn't make it make, make sense. Make it make sense. <laughs> In addition to that, you know, videos have actually surfaced of people being made to dance or undress as punishment, as well as them being beaten or doing copious amount of exercises being locked in dog cages yeah so this has led to the deaths of several filipinos and a lot have been reported by the media outlets but think of how many weren't reported as well yeah exactly there are so many cases of those who are forced to do about 300 squats as a violation for buying water outside and then they die the same day because of over exhaustion right yeah 
it's just so, so dehumanizing it's not really there's not much that we can say because it's such a heavy topic and it's really difficult to put how you feel about this into words it's very tragic and inhumane and i feel yeah. like even just talking about it doesn't give it justice because we can't hold the people who commit these acts like accountable for it exactly and in april they were actually meant to be barred from doing this but as recently as last month Duterte has been urging cops to use quote-unquote reasonable force and arrest violators. And moreover, like Roca said recently that he wants to implement a law to enable harsher penalties for quarantine violators. Exactly. I mean, you can just see that the treatment of the wealthy and those in positions of power and those not belonging to that group are on drastically opposite ends of the spectrum. I agree. Like, very disparate um, treatment between the rich and the elite and those who can get away with it versus the poor who can't. So you see a lot of politicians getting away scot-free um by like and they violate rules explicitly and there's so much proof and yet there's no punishment for that exactly and it's so frustrating because obviously a lot of the people who have been in use and you know i know that we only mentioned cenas but think about you know rocket who was out swimming with dolphins and actually got (laughs) covid and passed it on to his team you have was it pimentel who went to the hospital to see the birth of his son while he had covid as well right it's just, you can tell that these people are planning to run for office next year, and these are, you know, these actions are contrasted by the serious human rights violations, and this just honestly makes me so sick. And another thing that makes me so frustrated is that they wouldn't have to leave their house, right? Or they yeah. wouldn't have to go out if they had a Yuda, if the government yeah. was actually trying to help them and provide for them during a time when it's been so difficult when so many people have lost their jobs when so many people have lost family members like it's exactly. just they're it just makes me sick know, to my stomach they're just targeting the most vulnerable people who literally can't afford to fight back and defend themselves and i think that these behaviors just instill a sense of fear and distrust in a time where we should be providing you know compassion and kindness and help to people that need it and i think this just this really does discourage people from seeking help from government authorities Um, And the trauma that people get from these actions or even just seeing it on the news prohibits people from pursuing ways to earn a living. Like you've seen the videos of the cops going around and like knocking over people's wares, people selling on the street and everything and just harassing them. And it's like, you know, they're just trying to make a living. They don't have any money and you're torturing them. I agree. So uh, I'm so sorry. That was such a you know, very serious and said, like very sad topic, but we did have to talk, to talk yeah, about it. Yeah, it's not really something that you cannot acknowledge. I agree. But then again, I think another main issue that arises from that is that there is a lot of burden placed on the private sector and on individuals, mm-hmm. like individual people to combat this pandemic, right? So like Bay, you mentioned, right, that a lot of companies are forced to import their own vaccines, but then they also have to match the vaccines they get in donation to the government. This also, you know, harkens back to our discussion of the vaccines and how many have been donated versus the budget that we've had for buying vaccines and, you know, where's the money? (laughs) So they're also, in terms of the private sector, there's also news about, um, you know, private families like the Rizon family creating mega vaccination sites. Yeah, so they've been one of the first, I think, largest private sector groups to be forced to import their own vaccines and because of that as you mentioned they're basically raising public land to build this big vaccination site and the problem with this is that this public land was cleared without a clear and publicly accessible memorandum of agreement between 
the results in the Duterte administration. So it's just kind of suspicious and it makes you yeah. question like what else is going on behind the scenes that we don't actually have official and legal documentation for. I agree. Like I think it's very good that they want to bring in more vaccines like yeah. Moderna to the Philippines. But again, there are a lot of underlying issues behind that that we have to acknowledge. Yeah, I agree. And like Duca admitted himself that the MOA had yet to be signed, but they just allow the Rizons to do the clearing operations and that they have temporary use of the site. And this is super important because this is a, essentially a private facility on public land and this yeah. has been enacted without a contract. And, and you were talking about the environmental impacts yeah. that this has, so right? So we actually don't have a lot of green spaces in the Philippines already. Yeah, and that are public to a lot I of agree. people. I agree. So what they're doing is like, I just wonder why can't we use facilities that already exist like stadiums or malls as these mega vaccination sites because they've actually already been doing yeah, this you know and it's been successful uh, yeah. yeah so but again it's essentially kind of detrimental to the environment because you're using a public green space and converting it into a mega vaccination site but how do we reconvert it back to a exactly. green space right you, you can't undo that deforestation climate change yeah. bigger issues we have bigger issues so, yeah but i think you know, like a lot of respect and appreciation goes out to individuals who have been working so you know, have hard. been working so hard and sacrificing to actually help other members of their community. So like kudos to those who have like community pantries and mm -hmm. fundraising and grassroots organizing in order to combat the lack of ayuda from the government. So but then again, it's like the burden is placed on these individual people who are also struggling on their own. I like agree. everyone's been affected by the economic yeah. recession and the problems that we've I been agree. having. But yeah, you know, in addition to that, like there hasn't really been mass distribution of masks and safety equipment by the government. So you've had like grassroots and like private organizations trying to do this, to, do this to help the public or like people buying like fake masks and fake safety yeah. equipment. They're just trying to help themselves because it's not that accessible. But at the same time, that the burden again. should not be placed on them. I agree. So I think that's a good question. If the burden isn't placed on them, the burden should be placed on the government. And yeah. we actually do have some ideas that the government can implement on a nationwide level to help combat the pandemic. So for example, LGUs have a lot of success in their individual programs. So you have Pasig City, for example, that they have their own referral center. So essentially, Pasig City converted the Pasig City Children's Hospital into a COVID-19 referral center to centralize the location of COVID-19 cases and alleviate the overcapacity of COVID wards in private hospitals, such as the Medical City or Gigas. Mm -hmm. So you're also able to help fight off cross-contamination, and I think that's so effective. And furthermore, they provide benefits for nurses and frontliners. So you have free accommodation, you have a really good salary, free meals, free transportation. This does help our frontliners who have been so overworked and exhausted because of the pandemic. Once again, kudos to Mayor Vigo. Again. It's not favoritism or anything, but he's been doing a great job and rocking those blue polos. Uniqlo uniform. <laughs> <laughs> the, we love him, we love him. So Shout Out Bay has been working with the OVP and you did mention a lot of projects that could be implemented on a national level. So. Yeah, so they've been doing really, really well and they've had a plethora of projects that are targeted to providing aid to people in different forms, so financial, um, medical, etc. But I'm just going to be naming the three, in which in my opinion are the best ones. Mm -hmm. 
So first is the Bayanihan e-consulta program, and this is a teleconsultation initiative that, you know, as you mentioned, with Pasig City Referral Center, mm-hmm. it helps decongest hospitals and it gives aid to those who can't afford or access medical care in the NCR plus bubble. And this isn't limited to like COVID medical concerns. So if you've got any medical concerns at all, yeah. they hook you up with specialists and everything. And I think that's so effective yeah. because a lot of people don't want to go to the hospital exactly, now because so you could be very at risk. Yeah. This is a great solution. I think it's I think it's wonderful. Exactly. And they've also got the swab cab, swab booth slash mobile laboratory initiative, which I think is super brilliant because they actually encourage people to get tested for free. Um, and they give people food pack incentives to do so and really, really well curated relief packages if they do test positive. So again, you know, like you want to get accurate statistics. Yeah. I know that this is a couple months ago, but I know that DOH released a, a statistic of like COVID prevalence in the population and that was at 20%. Mm-hmm. And when the swab cab released their own findings, it was only at about 8%. And I think this is really good because it provides... It's a good counter check yeah, system, exactly. I think. You're getting accurate statistics and this mm-hmm. really does help the medical sector try to combat this disease in the best the and most, most effective, effective way possible. possible. Okay, side note, we always do this, but we've never actually gotten it recorded. No, we did the one time when you were talking about Tammy. But okay, we were talking about our friend, we got it on on video, but we always say the same thing at the same time. We have one singular brain cell. Yeah, we pass the brain cell between one another, but we're (laughs) splitting it. That's why we can't. Oh, sorry, I was going to say that's why we can't talk at the same time. Because we don't have the brain cell at the same time, but you can't talk at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sorry, the brain cell is not with me. Okay, anyways, um, so they've also had really, really great relief goods and medical supplies um, distributed to all sectors of the population, like not just in NCR+. There have been gadget donation drives, even bicycles, That's great. you know, shuttles, food and lodging for frontliners, plus they've been giving away locally made people again that's a locally, great solution right? exactly the, like you're yes. helping the economy I, you're uh, helping shout out OVP. Lenny. So we see you are, we appreciate uh, you we love you so those are a couple of projects that we think could be implemented on the national level yeah. but again just to reinforce mass testing and like ramping up our vaccine rollout program is some of the most effective ways to beat this look at other countries like exactly. the u.s where they're almost you know have a sense of normalcy again and that's because they have hit like are almost hitting herd immunity so mm-hmm. i really think we have to wrap up this vaccination rollout program and make sure that the funds that we've borrowed are going into purchasing vaccines right and this particular solution isn't just our opinion like we just want to remind you that we actually did talk to medical professionals in our last episode yeah. and this is the one thing like the biggest solution that she said must be vaccine. implemented in order to quell the you know pandemic um we also want to endorse stricter but Again, equal implementation of COVID protocols, you know. And you know, when we go into a lockdown, for example, do you know yeah. enforces lockdown, but equally again. Yeah, so, can we stop targeting poor people? I agree. And last, this was like an idea Bay and I just had, like a mm-hmm. vaccine passport, especially if a lot of individuals are traveling domestically and that's how they want to help support and build back the economy. So having a vaccine passport, like making sure that you're vaccinated before traveling somewhere yeah, can really help. Exactly. And we think that the vaccine passport would be really, really good because a lot of people do lie about getting the vaccine. Yeah, or like just to say they could go somewhere. Or they're... Um, They've gotten the first dose. Or, no, or like very false, like false, 
falls on PCR tests. Oh my god, yeah. yeah that, and they're like, oh, also, we have like, now. rapid tests aren't very Effective, accurate. Yeah. So, you know, get a swab test, but they're really expensive, so the government should be subsidizing yeah. that anyways. So, but yeah, that's basically all we have to say for this episode. But again, going back to the larger picture of like yeah. where our funds have gone and where they've been allocated to, we still don't know. You know, Basically, like it's not in the economic sector. It's yeah. not in our vaccine rollout program. So where is it really going? I guess you could say that the mystery of the missing funds remains unsolved. unsolved. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of TIAI. Um, if you did enjoy, please you know, follow us on Spotify and give us a rating, a really good one, hopefully. Tell your friends about it as well. If you want to follow us, you can follow us on Instagram at TIAI.podcast. And you can you know, send us recommendations, suggestions. We have some really fun episodes coming up with a lot of our friends. So we're super, super A lot of our friends that. who are vaccinated. vaccinated. We're also vaxxed, by the way. So yeah. we recommend getting vaccinated. We really do recommend getting vaccinated. Yeah, so we'd really love to hear any comments that you may have. As Ariana said, you can message us on Instagram. Or, you know, if you didn't like the episode, you can also send us hate mail at tiai.inquiries at gmail.com. Yep, and we'd also like to thank our marketing team. So we'd like to thank Rana Fee, Clarissa Chua, and Mikaela Chan. And we also like to thank Maxine Gonzon for editing this episode. I'm Bea. I'm Ariana. We'll see you next week. Stay safe, stay healthy, social distance, mask up, get vaccinated. You know the drill. Question the government. You know the drill. (laughs) Bye. Bye.